Uh, all right. Sorry about that. Can't say. This one is going to be good. <laughs> Thank you. Fuck you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the winning the NBA championship by Nikola Jokic to the not really wanting to stick around for the finals parade. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? Look, if anyone can appreciate the need to get back to your horse, it is us, the people who run horse. I mean, I totally get it. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's OK that we have a star in the league who really views this as just his job. It is <laughs> a job and it's OK that he's not super concerned with his legacy and how he is viewed and stuff like I can understand some fans feeling sad if it seems like he really doesn't want to stick around for this but like, I don't know, he's got family and friends abroad. He has to live in a different country for most of the year. Like you can't, you gotta, you know, sympathize with the guy a little bit. He did his job. His job ran a lot longer because of the playoffs and stuff. Unless his contract has playoffs incentives and all of that. I don't think he gets paid overtime. So, you know, he wants to just go back with the family and the horses. Let him be. <laughs> Look, if you have that kind of performance in the playoffs, you can do whatever you want, as far as I'm concerned. If you want to stick around and party for the next month, you can do that. If you want to go right back home to your horsies, that's also fine. Right. You can take the Nikola Jokic approach. I want to go home and play with my horses. Or the J.R. Smith approach. I'm not putting on a shirt for a month. You know, there's just... <laughs> there's two paths. Or the Vladimir Putin approach. I'm going to not put on a shirt and ride horses. Whoa. But then, yeah, uh, he t you know, he takes it. Hopefully nothing else about him. I was going to say it's the other stuff. You just can't get into it. But what we can get into is basketball. And to get into basketball, we need to get centered. And to get centered, we need to go to the Tomb Memorial Locker Room. Great champagne celebrations take place in the Tomb Memorial Locker Room. And they clean it up so nicely. Just good stuff going on there. A lot of Dr. Teal's being used after that celebration. Ooh, I'll tell you what. Yes, my goodness. We should reach out to Dr. Teal's and see we if they'll should. sponsor us. Like genuinely, we should be like, hey, there's the thing on the podcast where we named locker room related thing after a listener named Teal. It's a recipe for success. You know, it can't hurt, you know? Just like uh, the king should reach out to Jim Beam for like the Jim Beam. <sighs> we should. Yeah, they really should. Now, you know what else can't hurt? Uh, I would say... Hmm, I'd say probably having patrons. It is having patrons. Patreon has not released a feature where you can pay to hurt us yet, but at least at this point in time, people supporting us on Patreon is all good things. And we've got new patrons, which is fantastic. Shout out to our new patrons, Thomas Lucian and Matt Cobb. And shout out to our newest producer level patron, Sydney Crosby is a vampire. I know that Sydney Crosby is is slash was a hockey player mm -hmm. on the Penguins. That's where my knowledge starts and ends. But they sent us along an explanation. You want to tell us the explanation, Adam? Oh, sure. I don't know much more than you about hockey. I'm okay. not uh, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the hockeys. I know that the Las Vegas Knights, I think yeah, they're called. The Golden Knights. Golden Knights. I know that they won. Not to be confused with the other... <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. But anyway, if you're from Las Vegas and you're excited about that, congratulations. We're happy for you. Yeah. I will say live hockey is so much fun to watch. I don't enjoy it's it as true. much on TV. And I think it's just I never played hockey growing up, so I don't have the connection. Right. But hockey live in an arena. Like I used to go to Trenton Titans games oh, in yeah, Jersey been, all the time. Chuck a puck night. Yeah, dude. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Totally. Well, the explanation here from our newest producer level patron is as follows. Uh, I was trying to think of a good basketball name because hockey is the main sport I know about. And you mentioned Alex Ovechkin's mom on one episode I recently listened to. This might have been one with Eric like a while ago. I don't recall Maybe, us talking about Ovechkin, but either way, he wears number eight in her honor, by the way. There is a very famous interaction between a Capitals reporter and a Penguins reporter. Those are the teams on which Ovechkin and, uh, and Crosby played on, in which the Penguins reporter insists that Ovi take steroids because his mom was on the Soviet basketball team. And to quote, they all had mustaches. That's kind of offensive. Oh, my God. So obviously they were using steroids and he followed in her footsteps. Pretty ridiculous. Finally, the Caps reporter tried using logic and got fed up and finally said, quote, Sidney Crosby is a vampire and you can't prove he isn't. So therefore he is, end quote. It is one of my favorite sports interactions of all time and is actually related to basketball. So there you go. Wow. 
wow, that actually happened. And that reporter is horrible. How'd they get a job? Are they for one of those like weird, like really wacky channels where they don't actually report like OAN, but correct for true things. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I was like, I was, I just kept thinking ONN. I was like, but that's the onion one. And that's funny. <laughs> like, yeah, that's oh, ONN is amazing. That's intentional satire, not, not things that are so ridiculous. They should be satire. I mean, what you've just described here from our new patron, Sidney Crosby is a vampire. That interchange sounds like something that would be in. And I think you can leave sketch like where, you know, a reporter is convinced that someone is a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh. Unbelievable. Well, shout out to Sidney Crosby as a vampire. And of course, shout out to our existing producer level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris. How about them world champion Denver steamed nuggets? I was already going to tee it up, but you've teed it up in the message you sent. Oh, amazing. <laughs> shout out to those Denver steamed nuggets. Anna Reed, Steph Curry for the tray. Bang. Hi, Trish. Nicole Arsenault, Stubby Boardman gets paid. Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles plays ball, Naked Rachel, and now Sidney Crosby's a vampire. There you go. Can't prove otherwise, so he is. <laughs> there you go. You sure about that? You sure about that? <laughs> uh, you know what I am sure about, though? I think you're sure about the fact that it's nice when people give us money to keep doing this show. It is super nice. And when patrons do that, that's especially super nice. But hey, we're not gonna, we're equal opportunity money receivers and we'll take it from sponsors as well. And we have a sponsor for this episode, but this sponsor, they help people out. So that's cool. And that sponsor is Tab for a Cause. Tab for a Cause is something I've used for the past years and I've loved using it. And it's just something you add to your Google Chrome or other browser, I think. You just add it as an extension. And then every time you open a tab, you'll get a picture of a nice pretty background. There might be some ads in the corner, but those ads help raise money for charity. And then you get to pick what charities get supported. They have nice roster of charities. They have things about, you know, giving water to people in need, giving food to people in need, and you can pick which ones they give money to. But then also sometimes they'll do timely stuff, you know, when natural disasters come through, which does seem to be happening every day now. Sometimes they'll have ones that are more timely, which is really nice. But as we always check, when we do these ad reads, how many tabs do you have open, Adam? I have <sighs> five open. They are all for horse, but I do have five open. I don't understand this. Do you just like X out of all of your tabs every time you're done with something? You don't have like a couple default, like your a few Gmail tabs or other things that you always use open? I get too distracted and I kind of like closing out of the tab when I'm done with whatever the thing is. If I have too many things open, then I can be like, ooh, what if I check my Gmail? Ooh, what if I looked at Twitter? Ooh, what if I, and I think I function better when Fair I enough. close out the stuff. I guess I get it because it's kind of like the swipey thing you do on uh, iPhone where mm -hmm. you're just like, get out of here, all these yep. different things, blah, 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 blah. I don't want them anymore. And for the same reason, I like my batteries to not be, you know, spent on things I'm not using and then my laptop will last longer. I don't have to plug it in. I don't have to get up. Oh, the joy. There you go. All right. Well, I've done enough stalling. I imagine I'm secretly closing a tab every time we're... <laughs> oh, yeah. Click, click, click. Interesting. Click, right. click. Well, What'd you have for breakfast today, Mike? Click, click. I will be honest. All right. We got definitely double digits, but I think not as bad as it's been in the past. Okay. One, two, okay. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. You know, for me, not a terrible tab day. That's not terrible not terrible well look even if it is a terrible tab day it becomes a not terrible tab day if you use tab for a cause because then you're raising money for charity all you got to do is go to t-a-b-f-o-r-a-c-a-u-s-e.org slash horse that's tab for a cause.org slash horse get it signed up and start raising money for charity in the easiest way possible today and now at this point you're going to hear some other ad reads some of those might be read by us Others of them won't be. The ones that are not read by us are inserted locally. So if you are abroad, it might be in your country's native language. And if any of the sponsors are strange or seem a little sketchy, shoot us an email and we will get it squashed. But once those ads are complete, we will get into the rest of this episode of Horse. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Now, Adam, folks have heard from other sponsors, but let's do a little self-plug. You got anything oh, yeah. going on? I know Undercover Comic is live because I've purchased every episode. Oh, Woo. 
Wait, have you watched it? I haven't watched it yet. We purchased it, but Kelly and I are going to start watching it once I'm back from this little run of tour. Oh, and I'm very totally, excited. It's totally fine, but I do appreciate that you purchased it. Um, so yeah, that's a good place to start. Undercover Comic is still very much available on Amazon Prime. It is such a weird thing that like you spend all this time on something and then it comes out and then it's just like, well, I guess I better keep talking about it because there are a <laughs> zillion other things that exist. <laughs> <laughs> that anyone could be watching at any given moment. But yes, I do hope that you check out uh, Undercover Comic. We're very excited about it. We think it's really good. And uh, thank you for teeing that up so nicely. Stand-up-wise, I am continuing to book more and more dates. You can check that out at my link tree or at my website, adamamawala.com slash stand-up. The main club dates I have coming up, I'm going to be in Chattanooga, Tennessee in mm. August at a club called Comedy Catch down there. That's August 18th and 19th. I may be setting up some things around that. And uh, I just found out, this is kind of a random one, but anybody in the the like Buffalo, Rochester, Pittsburghy area, I'm going to be performing at the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival, um, which Fun. is uh, it's super cool. It's at the, um, so Jamestown, New York is where the festival is being held. This is Lucille Ball's hometown. You can go to like the house she grew up in. They actually have a comedy museum. It's like going to like the NBA Hall of Fame, but for comedy, I believe it's called the National Comedy Center. And I have heard that this festival is fantastic. I'll be performing there on Friday, August 4th. So if you happen to be in the area, um, I don't know if tickets are live yet, but I'll make sure to keep everybody updated. And uh, yeah, other than that, looking to get out on the road more. I'm sure I'll be plugging plenty of stuff in the upcoming episodes. But as for you, I guess you'll be done with this current run uh, that you're on right now by the mm -hmm. time the episode comes mm -hmm. out. But what else do you have coming up that you want to tell the uh, the peeps about? Yeah, Still got the Hartford, Connecticut date, July 15th, and then we'll have a run where we're going through other Midwest, which would be Chicago, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis slash St. Paul. In addition to that, though, on a non-live show thing, I also, because I don't think I've ever talked about it here, I've also been doing a Dungeons & Dragons stream every other Wednesday with some other podcasters. It's called 20 to Midnight. It's very fun. You can either watch the things live when we stream them on Twitch, or you can go to our YouTube account, which is just 20 to midnight and watch the old episodes. It's fun. It's my first time playing D&D in an extended format. It's just some good nerdy stuff. Gabriel Urbina, who does the dungeon mastering, is a very good storyteller. Like He's a professional full-time fiction podcast writer, so obviously the story is really good. It's just a good time with a bunch of good eggs. You can very cool. search for 20 to midnight on YouTube or go to our website, 22midnight.com, 20-T-O-Midnight. Nice. And did I see on uh, on her Instagram that Gracie Kanan, our friend, designed some merch for you? Yeah, so she had designed TNO t-shirts a while back with a Pro Pigeon podcast design on them. And very recently, I worked with Kelly and using Gracie's established design to turn them into enamel pins. And we have enamel pins that right cool. now I'm selling as we're on tour and eventually will be up on the TNO merch site. But yeah, Gracie Kanan turns out incredible comedian, incredible writer, as we all saw and heard on Modern Muckraker. And then also an incredible artist with the drawing and stuff. Too talented. Not fair. She went to RISD, I think. Like, she's really Oh, good. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she's too multifaceted. Yeah. Mm, um, come on. Share some of the talent with us, Gracie. Seriously. Mm. This is a free ad for Gracie Cannon if anybody needs uh, <laughs> design work. Yeah, done. you want some good Instagram reels or yeah. also incredible artwork, <laughs> check out Gracie Cannon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that complete, I think we can now get into Full Core Press, get it like the news. Let's do it. Look, biggest piece of news, obviously, is going to be the MDA champion... Denver Nuggets. We'll talk about the very cool storylines with all of the players in a second, but I think super quickly, let's get into some spicier stuff with Chris Paul, potentially maybe sort of kind of getting waived by the Phoenix Suns, question mark, question mark, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, not official yet. So uh, given that we're recording this right now, it'll be officially official about one minute after we hit stop on recording. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, we're recording this on June 15th. I don't know if june 15th is like the cutoff date but it is one of this i think it's the end of june but still it'll probably happen the second we stop recording you're correct yeah. but basically the suns have an interesting contract with chris paul where he has one year left in his deal this upcoming season and though he is under contract if they cut him before a certain point like i think if they cut him before the end of june or maybe they cut him before the nba draft they only have to pay him half as much of his 30 million dollars they only have to pay 15 million dollars and the suns haven't 
loved his recent play just because he keeps get, or he's back to his Chris Paul ways of yore where he was getting injured before he switched to only eating plants. Like his plant-based <laughs> diet really extended his career, but now he's kind of back in the thing where he keeps getting hurt and it's been a little disappointing. And if they save a little bit of money, they can flesh out the depth because they kind of traded away their depth to get Kevin Durant. So it's one of those things where it's like, we could allocate this $15 million towards two players that hopefully don't get hurt instead of one player who keeps being hurt and is one year older. Right. So there was talk of them waving him, but then Chris Paul's representatives thought it was official, but then they were just saying, no, they were discussing it. So it's looking like it's going to be a pretty good chance that Chris Paul is not a Phoenix Sun in the future. And it's just a question of like, does some team trade for him? Do they wait for it to be waived? Do they do the thing that legally the Suns can do where they waive him and then re-sign him to a different contract if no other team picks him up? It's just going to be an interesting situation. Hard to imagine no other team picking right. him up. Uh, it, yeah, it would just depend on if they wanted to do it for the contract purposes. I right. think rather than like legitimately pick him up, I think a team would have to like have conversations of the hypothetical mm -hmm. nature with uh, Chris Paul and try to line something up. But it'll be interesting because... I think there's a lot of teams that would love to have Chris Paul on not as big of a contract. And if you sure. would be their backup point guard, like that's amazing. Would you want him on the Knicks? Oh, if he would be our backup point yeah. guard, of course. Totally. But I think Chris Paul has earned the right to be like, no, I would like to go to, say, the Los Angeles Lakers who have right. shrug emoji playing point guard right now. <laughs> I, I think that he might try to go to a better situation where he doesn't have to be a backup. So I would say if he doesn't stick around with the Suns, I think he might do that thing where he lets the Suns wave him and then he tries to join the Lakers and then, you know, I'm the starting point guard on the Lakers and I'm with my friend LeBron. I think that's quite likely just kind of like stars aligning. I mean, I don't want this, but I could see a scenario in which Chris Paul goes to the Lakers, it actually works out, they win the title and then they both retire. I mean, wow. That would be... Very storybook-esque. Yeah. The other thing he might do, he might go back to the Clippers. The Clippers don't have a great point guard situation either. You know, they tried it with John Wall at the beginning of last year. And then maybe it's feel good. Chris Paul's back on the Clippers. Yeah. He's teaming up with Paul George and Kawhi. And then they just have three injury-prone guys oh, all boy. on the same team. <laughs> yeah. Let's trade Cat there as well. Oh, gosh. My goodness. Well, that is going on there. In the WNBA, we had a really cool weekend where Sue Bird and Sylvia Fowles both had their jersey retirements on the same day. So if you just wanted to feel emotions for powerful women in basketball being immortalized, you could have just watched them back to back. I watched the Sue Bird one, and it may or may not have influenced my three-on-three -three this episode, mm. so we won't harp on it too much because I might get into it. But I wanted to make sure that we gave the shout-out not only to Sue Bird, but also to Sylvia Fowles, who is definitely a little quieter and I don't think gets as much attention with Sue Bird just because Sue Bird has some other things going on where, you know, she's really good friends with Diana Taurasi and they do the ESPN show and Sue Bird is at least engaged to Megan Rapino, who is very popular. So, like, I think there's other things that lead to Sue Bird getting a lot of credit. I think Sylvia Fowles also deserves some love as well. An incredible athlete, and for her to have her jersey retired by the Minnesota Lynx is very cool. So shout out to both of them, and we'll be talking about Sue in a little bit. Now, will your three-on-three -three mention the Sue Bird Fetty Wap connection? <laughs> oh, it will be the number one spot on one of the threes, so Amazing. don't worry. All right, all right, good. I, I don't think I've teased yeah. it too much, but it was we enjoyed that a lot in our group chat with our buddy Chris Chan, who's, uh, whose golf swing yeah. is looking nice. I got to be honest, you know, I'm not a golf guy, Look, but that's a good mm -hmm. hip rotation mm -hmm. right there. He's doing great. He's got the apps that track the ball flight. Look at him go. Look at him go. Love it. Now, let's talk about the champion Denver Nuggets. And if you want to hear us talk about the nuts and bolts of the basketball of it, we did videos after each game. If you go to patreon.com slash horse hoops, you can watch all of those. If you join at any tier, you can see us chatting about how the games went down. But I think the Denver Nuggets, it's just such a cool story itself that I feel like we can just talk about like why this is cool for the team and all of the players and the coach and all of that. And we can just kind of like go down the roster and just talk about it. I think first off overall as a city, I think they are the longest team who has now won a title in terms of like years between becoming a team and then winning. Yeah. I think it was like 47 yeah. seasons yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. And that was only more than the Cavaliers by like two seasons or something. Right. So they've been around for 47 years, never won the title. And now they have. That's really cool. It is very that's cool. super fun for the city of Denver. Yeah. So I think that's fun for the organization. Another cool stat that I saw about Michael Malone, the coach, 
he tied Pat Riley for being the longest tenured coach on a team before winning a championship. So he was on the team for eight years as the head coach and then won the championship. And that's so rare in the NBA. Like usually if you go four years without really good success, like you're out of there. And for him to take the job and just like slowly but steadily, I feel like the Nuggets were getting better and better. Then you had the injury setbacks, but then they got back to that trajectory that they were on. It's just a cool story. Michael Malone seems like a really nice guy. He's always given really good answers in the press. And I think that him winning is cool and him getting thrown up by Jokic's brothers in the celebration (laughs) of it was super fun. Yeah, I mean, he just seems like his entire life is hoops. And uh, obviously there are a lot of people like that, I think especially coaches where so much of what you do and so much of the value you bring is behind the scenes. Like Malone just seems like a hoops nerd in the the best possible way. You can tell the passion that he has. And uh, yeah, good for him. And I think... It is nice to see a coach who's been there for a while finally get that reward because to your point, like the trend in in modern sports and arguably modern society is like, if something's not working out, let's just get rid of someone. Sometimes that's the right move, but it's also a situation where sometimes continuity would have been better because they've been building towards something. And then if you tear that down and start from scratch again, it doesn't work that well. Like I feel obligated to shoehorn in a a baseball reference, but I I think you can make the case that maybe Joe Madden deserved to keep being the manager of the Cubs. And if you take away the the leader and you put some player who hasn't coached before in there, I don't know, doesn't always work that well. So no, I think the continuity of the Denver Nuggets is very admirable from front office to the team to just being confident in the people that they have and putting their trust in their players and organization. And it paid off. And like, honestly, you think about it now, given how well they played in the playoffs, because the Nuggets went like, what, 16 and three or something or 16 and four, like, who's going to beat the Nuggets next year? Like, they look really set up in good position. Yeah, they look really good. Yeah. Now, let's talk about some of the players. You've covered Jamal Murray extensively. Mm-hmm. We've done like some deeper dives with his bubble performance and going over injury. How cool is it for him, man? And when he was crying at the yeah. speech, just the pure tears of joy, it's just what a story coming back, missing like a season and a half for injury. And then everyone doubting that you're right. going to be good. And then somehow you're better at basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little similar to what I was saying about Malone in terms of the the work that goes on behind the scenes. But when you tear your ACL and you suffer an injury of that magnitude, so much of what you do for the next year plus of your life is all this behind the scenes stuff where you are just grinding and working your ass off and hoping to one day get back to the position where you can be in front of people again and competing at that level. And I have no doubt that the reason for those tears, other than the accomplishment of winning an NBA championship, which in and of itself is amazing, I'm sure he was thinking very much to those low moments and and how he was feeling at that time and probably wondering if he would get back to that level, if if he would be competing that far in the playoffs again. And uh, I don't know a ton about Jamal Murray, but from everything that I have ever seen, he seems like a guy who's really easy to root for. And you have to love it for the guy. I mean, he looks just as explosive as he ever was before the injury. And that is super encouraging. Yeah, it's really cool. And it has to be frustrating to be the star of a team and to be hurt and to see your team still make the playoffs every year, but just fall short in those two years where he wasn't back. And know that you would be the difference. That's the thing. Like knowing like, oh, damn it. If I wasn't hurt, we could win. Yeah. Like they had that stretch where when they first traded for Aaron Gordon, who we'll talk about in a second, like they looked really good for eight games when everybody was healthy. And then, you know, it just one of the big like what ifs. And now that what if gets to be squashed because the big what if was, oh, what if they were all together? Well, they're all together and they won the title. (laughs) So worked out pretty well. We've talked about Jokic, but I mean, for Jokic, I think in this season, it's very funny that the one year of the past three that he doesn't win MVP because it was always, is it Jokic or is it Giannis? Is it Jokic or is it Embiid? And then this year, like I felt voter fatigue is a legitimate thing where people don't want to keep voting for the same guy for MVP. It's why guys like LeBron or Michael Jordan, like, you don't see them win like four or five or six times in a row because voters are just like, oh, let's give it to Carl Malone because they try to find a reason for it to not just be like, it was silly. Some of the things where it's like, no, just give it to Jordan again. Like he's the best player by a mile. I think that that kind of happened to Jokic this year. And for the year that he doesn't get MVP to be the year he gets finals MVP, which has got to be a sweeter reward to get. That's, I just think it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, it's very funny that you say that. I was uh, I was muting myself for a siren, as I often do. Ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the Bulls' two three-peats, 
The first time mm-hmm. around, Jordan was the MVP of the regular season the first two years. And then the third year of the three-peat, Charles Barkley of the Suns was the mm-hmm. MVP. And I think, as has become a meme, Michael Jordan took that personally. And then when they played each other <laughs> in the finals, guess who won? In the second three-peat, mm-hmm. Jordan was the MVP in 1996 and 97. And then that third year, noted asshole, Carl Malone, named MVP. Mm-hmm. And guess who the Bulls played in the finals? And guess what Michael Jordan took personally? And uh, you know what? Wow. You hate to see it, but also you really don't. You just love to see mm-hmm. it. Hey, maybe that was the fuel that they needed to get them to do the three-peats both times. So maybe like it all worked out. And you could say that was maybe the case for Jokic, but he could not care less about awards and statistics. Right. And it's so admirable. Like they keep doing these things in press conferences where they're like, oh, you're the first person to, you know, score 30 points, have 20 rebounds, and get 10 assists in a finals game. How does that make you feel? And he just goes, I don't care. (laughs) Did we win? Great. Like, he's just, he's very just like down to earth. He's like, this is a team sport. Why do we talk about individuals so much? It's like, yeah, man. It's like pretty insightful, some of the things he he asks. It's true. Having said that, my, that actually happened, is going to be focused on Nikola Jokic. Okay, well then let's It's not what he would have wanted, but it's what I want. And that's (laughs) kind of what this show is all about. Let's keep going then. Aaron Gordon is another really cool story. He was someone who was drafted number four overall by the Orlando Magic and was kind of supposed to be like one of the stars and one of the more main players. But then the Magic just had a weird roster situation going on where like even though Aaron Gordon's a big man, they were having him handle the ball. Same draft class as Jokic, by the way. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. But Jokic was like 41st in the draft. He got drafted during a Taco Bell commercial. They didn't even show it. But with Aaron Gordon, it was just one of those things where like, should he have been a star? Maybe he'd be better in a different role. But like, why would he take that role on the Magic? Because he's the best player. It was this weird thing where once the Nuggets showed interest in trading for him, and then it finally happened, it just felt like one of those, this will work for everyone. Because Aaron Gordon's skill sets are exactly what the Nuggets need. And he's perfect for that role, kind of like the Draymond Green thing where it's like, yeah, you're a good player and this might hurt your ego a bit, but like you'd be best served on a team where defenses are paying attention to some other people and then it just makes your life easier. And that's exactly what Aaron Gordon is. It's like, oh, everyone's guarding Jokic and Murray. Let me just run in for an alley-oop. Let me just move now that they've switched. There's a small guy and I'm very large. Let me post him up. And he just truly embraced that role and did it with the Nuggets to the best of the ability. He's absolute perfect fit on the Nuggets. It's so cool. He is. And I think part of being a good general manager and part of putting a good team together is understanding who those people are who would be thriving in a more competitive environment, right? And I think Aaron Mm -hmm. Gordon is one of those guys who like, I don't care how much money you're getting paid. If you are on a shitty team at any level of any sport, it is hard to bring it every night when you know that you're not really playing towards anything. And I think Aaron Gordon is a a hyper-competitive dude. It's actually kind of funny. Obviously, he's never been up for an MVP award, but in terms of individual awards that he probably deserved that he didn't get, you could make a very compelling case that Aaron Gordon should be a two-time dunk contest champion. At least one time. At least one time. And he has won zero of them. The one with Zach Levine, I mean, either of them could have won. The one with with Derek White, it was clear bullshit by Dwayne Wade. I mean, the, mm-hmm. it's a, speaking of the Soviet judge, I mean, I, let's just call it, call it what it is here. Dwayne Wade was very, very biased. But yeah, so it's very cool for Aaron Gordon. And uh, I don't know the guy, but I have to assume that the NBA championship means a lot more to him than any sort of individual accolade that you can mm-hmm. see. And going back to Murray, they had a cool mic'd up moment where I'm not even sure who it was, but somebody on the Nuggets bench is like kind of patting him on the chest before the fourth quarter of game five, saying like 12 more minutes and you're DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, there you go. And that's a big part of the reason in the same way that Udonis Haslam is on the heat for leadership purposes. I know that DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan is there for those same reasons as well. And he said something to the effect of like 12 more minutes and you're immortal. Like this is, yeah, especially when you're part of that team that breaks a drought Even if the Nuggets Mm -hmm. go on to win again, for the people of Denver, this will be the team. Yeah, they got the one. He will be drinking for free in bars in Denver 50 years from now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it did make me think of the ending basketball scenes of High School Musical 3, where they go, I think, what is this? I I mean, I think everyone thought about that, Mike. Everyone was. It made me think (laughs) of the song from High School Musical 3, where they're like, 16 minutes, 16 minutes to, you know, whatever it is about winning the state championship. I was like, very reminiscent of that. But DeAndre Jordan, he did play three really important minutes of game five where everyone was in foul trouble and then he was good. So that was cool to see. And I think final cool to see storyline for the Nuggets. There's still like so many other cool things, but 
the final one we'll talk about. Jeff Green and Ish Smith have been on like a million different teams. And I don't know if Jeff Green's ever won a title, but Ish Smith certainly hasn't. He played for 13 different teams in his 13 seasons in the NBA. And now he's won a title. So cool. So cool. Also, I don't know if you recall this, but Jeff Green was almost out of the league because he had to get heart surgery. Like that's also a very cool story that he's still playing at this age and and still Mm -hmm. very effective. Yeah, and he can still yam it on folks. Like Jeff Green, who's what, 36, 37, Mm -hmm. is just like dunking on dudes. Like he's 26, 27. It's, you know, it gives me hope for, you know, my knees as I get through my 30s. Yeah. Look, speaking of which, as someone who just turned 36, it was very discouraging the entire finals to hear them talking about Jeff Green and Kyle (laughs) Lowry as the old men of the team who are both like 36 and 37, respectively. (laughs) There's some tweet I always think of with that where it's like me watching sports. uh, It says something like a 32 year old checks in and then, you know, they have like quotes of the announcers being like, it's so honorable that he's playing a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. It makes me think of your uh, joke about how you only want to play pickleball once your your ACLs are linguini. Yeah, until I've had them surgically repaired, I will be playing tennis. I will not transition. I actually, this may become part of my act at some point, but I, I came up with the perfect analogy. Like as tennis players, the way we feel about pickleball is how real guitar players felt about Guitar Hero. Oh, that's good. See, this is why you're a professional stand-up comedian. That's really good. (laughs) It makes me that infuriated. The thing that makes me very upset is that pickleball, it's a warm-up. It's what we warm up with in tennis. tennis. Like when you play small balls, yes, it's what you do at the beginning. It would be like, I don't know, if you were playing basketball, if you were like, oh, you guys want to play free throws? Like, where all you do is shoot foul shots? It makes me so upset. Hey, grown people, want to go play on this play school hoop instead in my parents' basement? (laughs) It's so frustrating. Oh, my goodness. Now, anyway, before we talk about (laughs) pickleball being frustrating for the next 87 minutes, Mm -hmm. let's keep it about basketball. And let's talk about your that actually happened that you alluded to. Before we move on to my that actually happened, any thoughts on the Heat, on their run, on what their future is? Yeah, I think it's super cool. I think they had a really fun run. I think everyone disrespecting them for saying it was a fluke that they got there is wrong. Like the Boston Celtics had nothing wrong with their team. They just got beat by the Heat. So I don't think you can make any sort of claims. The Knicks gave them a good run and fought their way through the play-in. Like, this is why the play-in is here, for cool opportunities like this. I think everything was legit. I think they kind of ran out of steam, but that's what happens when you play a bunch of really grueling series and people get hurt along the way. I think Jimmy Butler showed how impressive of a basketball player he is. A lot of these undrafted guys stepped up. It was cool. I don't know that they're going to necessarily be back, mainly just because I think there's a lot of guys who played really well and are up for new contracts, and I think they're going to take those contracts. So I think unless the Heat do the thing that they always do, which I wouldn't be surprised, they somehow make a trade for some star who wants to play Miami because the team is good and the organization is good and the weather is nice. I think unless the Heat do something like that, I don't see them getting back in. But I hope that this run doesn't get forgotten. I think even if Jimmy Butler doesn't win a title... He could be one of the players that still is immensely respected without it. Like, people don't really clown Charles Barkley for not having a ring. People don't really clown Stockton and Malone for not having a ring. They should clown them for being terrible people. But there's certain stages of stardom where it's like, if you get really close and you do some cool stuff, people are like, yeah, they didn't win a ring, but we still respect them. And I think if that's what Jimmy (laughs) Butler does, so be it. But I think... And I hope that this finals run gets remembered for all of time because it was super impressive what they did. Really, really encouraging. Yeah, and you do wonder if the Celtics would have put up more of a fight against the Nuggets. I'm not sure how that would have gone. I mean, to your point, they did not beat the Heat. They lost fair and square. (laughs) There was nothing weird about it. Like, yes, obviously, Jason Tatum getting injured in the first minute of Game 7 did not help. He was not the player that he can be. But yeah, who's to say? Either way, I think the Nuggets were the deserving finals champion. I mean, they were the number one team in the West all season. Nobody respected them. They got in, proved to everybody why they deserved that respect. As for Jimmy Butler, and I want to be very clear that this is not Jimmy Butler slander, but it does make you appreciate just how great the greats are in the league now or ever in the sense that like, Jimmy Butler, and I'm sure he would admit this, like he struggled in some of the games in the finals. And I'm sure exhaustion was setting in and I'm sure there were other reasons, but... His ankle was still hurt from the Knicks series, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, when that when he first injured his ankle, the initial prognosis was like, yeah, if this were the regular season, he probably would be out for at least weeks, if not longer. 
but you just don't have that luxury in the uh, in the playoffs. But it makes you really appreciate the uh, you know Jordans and Kobe's and LeBrons and you know arguably Jokic's of the world mm-hmm. for whom even if things are not bouncing their way that night, they find a way to put up 20, 25, 30 points and be productive in other ways. And it's not easy. Like to never really have a dud in the playoffs or in the finals. It's there's a, a very, very, very small percentage of NBA players who have ever played the game for whom that is true. And uh I still consider Jimmy Butler to be one of the best players in in the modern NBA. But yeah. it gives you some appreciation for like the truly elite of the elite being able to get it done even if they're exhausted or even if uh you know they're not having good shooting night or whatever it may be. But Mm -hmm. Hell of a run. Good for the heat. For sure. Now, shall we cover your that actually happened? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So for anyone who follows our Instagram or Twitter accounts, of course, at horse hoops and at horse underscore hoops, because we'll do that later. Mm -hmm. A few days ago, I posted what has now become an infamous photo of Nikola Jokic as a teenager next to a photo of me as a teenager during a phase of my life that I could best describe as fluffy uh, in the sense that I was chunky and also literally dressed like Gabriel Iglesias for reasons that are still unclear to me. (laughs) So in honor of that, and given the fact that the Nuggets have just won their first ever championship, I present to you a full account of how Nikola Jokic went from being that chubby teenager to being NBA Finals MVP. Sweet. This is cool. So first of all, a big shout out to writer Leo Sepkowitz, whose February 2017 article about Nikola Jokic served as the source for much of this information. Honestly, it was pretty fascinating to read an article written during Jokic's sophomore season, during which he was starting to become the dominant player we know him to be today, uh, after a rookie season in which he averaged 9.9 points, 7 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. You know, he had a good rookie season, but I don't think that at that time people truly appreciated like the player and and the force that he would become. So uh, Nikola Jokic was born on February 19th, 1995, uh, just two days after you turned three. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, I I I was February 17th in 1992 is me. Uh, Now, he was born in Sambor, Serbia. Uh, It's a city in the northern part of the country that, as of 2022, is home to around 40,000 residents. I honestly don't know much about Serbia other than that it is the home country of Novak Djokovic. And what a week for the Serbs. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah, except Novak Djokovic sucks. I hate that guy so much. I know, and I, I'm a Federer stan, tried and true, but like, let's just call it what it is. Djokovic has made a, a pretty damn compelling case for GOAT. Like, it's just longevity-wise and number of grand slams. I hate to, it pains me to say it, but I mean, mm-hmm. he's pretty, All I'm going to say pretty. is I'm glad, I was in, I hated him before he was a weird anti-vax guy. So like, I'm a <laughs> hipster with my hate. I hated him before. <laughs> yeah, but he does, he's got like that Kobe thing, right? Where it's like, I don't know that he's well. <laughs> he seems to want to win so badly that it feels unhealthy and robotic at times. But no. uh, anyway, so yes, I know that Novak Djokovic is Serbian. I know that famed inventor Nikola Tesla, also Serbian. Mm. Not to be confused with Elon Musk. That's just the person who makes Tesla. I know. Not even. Elon Musk didn't found that company. Everyone thinks he did. He didn't. He just owns it and he just owns it. it he didn't find makes it. a lot of money it. off of it. Bluff. Mm-hmm. But I did a bit of internet sleuthing, and uh, I'm not sure what I expected, but the city of Sambor is quite beautiful, actually. Uh, I'll share the link to a very cool tourist video I found from a a YouTuber traveling through the city, eating uh, what I can only describe as a Serbian churro. And uh, honestly, it looked delightful. I don't have the ability to pronounce it without embarrassing myself, but uh, suffice (laughs) to say that it looked very good. But anyway, let's talk about Jokic's humble beginnings. Like many of us, his basketball career started on a toy hoop, except this hoop hung on the door of his family's modest two-bedroom apartment in which Jokic lived with his two brothers, his parents, and his grandmother. Now, if you have any sense of how truly gigantic Jokic and his brothers are, you can imagine that it was probably pretty tight as the kids got older. For reference, Nikola Jokic is currently listed at 6'11", 284 pounds. One of his brothers is also 6'11", and the shrimp of the family is 6'6". Just outrageous. Um, Nikola is the youngest of the three, and his two older brothers towered over him when they were children, so much so that they would sit down when they played basketball with him to make it a fair fight. Uh, His brothers, both of whom are around a decade older than him, they played competitive basketball in Serbia, and one of them went on to play college ball in the States. But it was Nikola who was the real standout as he got older. After a successful start to his youth basketball career, Jokic signed his first contract in 2012 at the age of 17. He would appear in only five games, averaging 1.8 points and two rebounds in just 10 minutes per game. The following season, he would split time between the Adriatic League and the Serbian League, averaging about 10 points and six rebounds per game. Good, but nothing that was blowing anyone away. 
Now, following that season, Jokic was drafted 41st overall in the 2014 NBA draft. Now, as you can imagine, given that 40 players were drafted before he was, there was a lot of skepticism about how he might fare in the bigger, faster, stronger NBA. And this is my favorite part of doing this that actually happened. I looked up what scouts were saying about him and found the following on nbadraft.net. Now, I'll read the highlights, which are a compilation of various scouts' notes about him before the draft. These were the strengths. Very high basketball IQ. This is his greatest strength. Strong personality. A team player. Has a great work ethic. Tremendous length. Can really shoot the ball. Considering the fact that he competes in the Adriatic League, where most players are older than he is, and also that he's an average athlete, he uses his basketball IQ to succeed. Shows a winning attitude, competes hard in games and practices. A self-starter doesn't need to constantly be pushed to get the most out of his abilities. And finally, well-liked by his teammates, outgoing, strong character, doesn't drink or smoke. Weaknesses. An average athlete lacking great speed and leaping ability. Fair, honestly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Foot speed is a big liability. He may struggle to stay in front of NBA athletes at the center position. Needs to improve as a post player, gain strength, and develop a repertoire of back-to-the-basket moves. So that That's hilarious. Moves. Yeah. That is hilarious, given that that's like the bread and butter of his game now. Yeah. Defense is a real weakness at this point due to lack of lateral speed and lack of strength. Finally, despite being a younger guy, his upside appears limited by his lack of explosiveness and foot speed. And the NBA comparison they gave was Nikola Vucevic, who plays for my beloved Chicago Bulls, which I guess I kind of see why they would have come up with that. That's a rare instance where that is actually correct, but they have done studies in the past, and I think they're getting better, where like when people do comparisons, they like to do people who look similar. Like white people usually get compared to white players, and black people usually get compared to black players. So I wouldn't... It's also the rule of pickup basketball. (laughs) Anytime a white person is good, they're like, oh, Steve Nash out here. Yeah, but you know what? That's always fun. Yeah. (laughs) But I wonder if there was Nikola Bias where they're like, ah, (laughs) they got the same name, but their play styles are actually kind of similar. So I'll let this one pass. Yeah, well, we'll allow it. Now, I also found this great piece written by Kevin Skyver, I believe is the pronunciation, from earlier this month in Sporting News that goes prediction by prediction and talks about how everything played out all this time later. I'll share the link to it. But one point he brings up is really interesting. He starts by saying, quote, One thing that must be said up top, this is not a condemnation of the writers and analysts who scouted Jokic ahead of the 2014 NBA draft. It is, rather, praise for what an incredible outlier Jokic is when it comes to projections versus production, end quote. And honestly, that's a perfect way to describe it. Even now, there are times what Jokic does on the basketball court seems to defy logic, Mm -hmm. and yet he just completed one of the greatest postseason runs in NBA history. Like, suffice it to say that Whoever was working for the Nuggets front office who pushed for that pick deserves an enormous raise. I tried to find out who it was exactly who was like the main person. Do you know? I don't know his name. I was listening to the low post. They do post finals audio stuff. And he and Brian Windhorst were talking. And then the guy who's head of the scouting came through. Oh, cool. And they just like were, they were like, hey, man, like a lot of the Nuggets made some really good draft picks like Jamal Murray at seven. And obviously the Michael Porter Jr. things worked out pretty well. And then Jokic is the big thing. Uh, Christian Brown played really, really well. And he was a late first round pick this past season, a rookie playing well in the finals. So yeah, I don't know that guy's name, but he was on the low post and he sounded very happy. So I think he might've been basking in the celebration and seems like he's getting the praise he certainly deserves. While you're paused for sirens, talking of player comparisons, there was one time that I was playing pickup basketball and I was getting lots of rebounds and someone who was on my team, who's a black guy said, oh, this N-word out here looking like Dwight Howard with all these rebounds. And I said, thanks, man. I mean, look, you love to get a Dwight Howard comparison. That's got to feel at good. At the time, it was high praise. This was like when Dwight yeah, Howard was Yeah, this wasn't Taiwan Dwight Howard. No, this was like Houston Rockets Dwight Howard. So it was great praise. But yeah. given the language choices, I went with man. <laughs> I think you made the right choice. <laughs> in any case, Jokic was picked so late in the draft that, and, and you mentioned this earlier, his selection appeared as a scrolling update on the bottom of the screen during a Taco Bell commercial. Mm-hmm. I mean, this dude has changed a franchise's trajectory forever And literally any team could have had it, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is frustrating as a fan of not the Nuggets. And I'm sure you feel that way about the Knicks. I'm sure everybody who's not a Nuggets fan feels that way. The Nuggets themselves took Doug McDermott with their first pick uh, at number 11 overall and then traded him to the Bulls. Of the 40 players drafted before Jokic, only four of them, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, Julius Randle, and Zach Levine, have appeared in an All-Star game. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. Wow. Well yes. done by the Nuggets. And the Taco Bell commercial, not just any Taco Bell commercial. It was the commercial for the quesarito where you can get a burrito wrapped in a quesadilla. And there were a couple of people on Twitter saying, because that clip was getting shared all over the place. A lot of people clamoring for the return of the quesarito. You know what? Maybe Jokic is the quesarito of the NBA. It's like you, you think you know what this person is and then there's there's so much more to it. And you think that this certainly can't exist and this certainly can't work, but of course it does. Of yeah. course it works. <laughs> Ogres are like onions and Jokic is like a quesarito. And there's your episode title right there. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the Nuggets were the lucky or smart team to draft Jokic. And so after being drafted in 2014, he spent one more season overseas and joined Denver at the beginning of the 2015-2016 season. By the way, that's not uncommon when international players are drafted. Uh, sometimes they will stay and play another year or two overseas as they continue to develop. But in his rookie campaign, as I mentioned before, Jokic averaged 10.7 rebounds and 2.4 assists per game, earning him NBA Rookie All-First Team honors and a third-place finish in Rookie of the Year voting. In his second season, those averages grew to 16.7 points, 9.8 rebounds, and 4.9 assists. And it had become clear that Jokic was a force to be reckoned with. When all was said and done, Jokic had earned the NBA's most improved player award, and deservedly so. Year after year, those numbers increased in every category, and it all came together in his fourth season with the Nuggets, during which he made his first All-Star game, received his first All-NBA First Team honors, and signed a five-year, $148 million max deal with Denver. And as wild as it sounds, $29.6 million a year for Jokic feels like a steal, honestly. He's so underpaid. He's yes. so, so, so underpaid. <laughs> yeah. In the following season, Jokic helped lead the Nuggets to a conference finals run in the bubble before their dreams were cut short by the eventual champion Los Angeles Lakers. But Jokic was not satisfied. The following season, he put up absolutely absurd regular season numbers of 26.4 points, 10.8 rebounds, and 8.3 assists. At the end of that season, he was awarded the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award, becoming the first center since Shaq to win the award, and that had been 21 years prior. He was also the first Serbian to win the award and the lowest drafted player to take home the NBA's ultimate individual honor. The following season, Jokic repeated his MVP, boasting an even gaudier regular season stat line of 27.1 points, a whopping 13.8 rebounds and 7.9 assists per game. But the Nuggets would fall short in the playoffs, as we alluded to before without Jamal Murray. Uh, they lost 4-1 to in the first round to the eventual champion Golden State Warriors. Jokic certainly did his part, averaging over 30 points and 13 rebounds per game, but it was not to be. And that brings us to this season, during which Jokic made a compelling case to win his third consecutive MVP award, but finished second to Joel Embiid. Now, Embiid, in fairness, had a huge season, but Jokic averaged 24.5 points, 11.8 rebounds, and 9.8 assists per game. The dude was two-tenths of an assist away from averaging a triple-double for the entire season, a feat only pulled off by the great Oscar Robertson and, more recently, Russell Westbrook. But as much as I'm sure Jokic would have loved to have taken home the MVP trophy, or maybe he wouldn't have, who knows, he might not have cared at all. He and the Nuggets had bigger fish to fry, and fry those fish they did, steamrolling their way through the entire playoffs to the tune of a 16-4 and record. We mentioned it briefly before, but I don't know that people appreciate just how dominant that is in a playoff run. Like, for reference... The greatest teams of all time, right? You got the 95-96 Bulls. They won 72 games during the regular season, considered by many to be the greatest team of all time. They went 15-3 and in the playoffs. So basically the same record, right? This was when the, the first round was one game shorter. The 2000-2001 Lakers went 15-1. and The 2016-2017 Warriors followed up their devastating loss to Cleveland the year before by going 16-1 and through the playoffs. But the point is, these Nuggets were right up there with the most elite teams to have ever competed, and almost no one predicted they would even get to the finals, let alone win it all. Not even at the beginning of the season. Like, in the playoffs, heading into the number one seed, they were not getting any respect, really. The Nuggets are a very well-constructed, well-rounded team, and Jamal Murray is certainly a star in his own right. But make no mistake about it, this team won because of Nikola Jokic. Throughout the 20 playoff games Denver played this year, Jokic averaged 30 points, 13.5 rebounds, and 9.5 assists. In the final specifically, he averaged 30.2 points, 14 rebounds, 7.2 assists, and 1.4 steals, because why the hell not? <laughs> Many have described Jokic's run as the most statistically dominant in NBA history. That's a history that includes Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, just to name a few. None of those players dominated the way Jokic did in as many facets of the game. To be more clear... Nikola Jokic became the first player in NBA history to lead the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. Per a CBS Sports article, Jokic's postseason accomplishments include the following, and there were more that I'm not even willing to read because there were just too many. 
Jokic was the first player to lead the postseason in total points, rebounds, and assists, as I mentioned. He had the most triple-doubles ever in a single postseason with 10. So literally half of the playoff games, he had a (laughs) triple-double. He's a first player with 250 rebounds and 150 assists in a single postseason. First player with a 30-20-10 finals game, so 30 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists. First player with 25 points on 75% field goal percentage in a finals clincher. And the first center since Shaq in 2002 to win the finals MVP. I mean, these superlatives just go on and on. And after all was said and done, all Nicola wanted to do was go back to his hometown where his journey all began as a tall, albeit chunky teenager all those many years ago. And uh, you know what? That actually happened. It did. And what's funny about him still leading the playoffs in total points, all this kind of stuff, because the Nuggets are so good, they didn't play in that many games. <laughs> like they didn't play yeah. that many more games than the minimum. And right. he still put up those stats. It's absurd. It's truly, truly absurd. And you also said something about maybe he didn't want the MVP trophy. He apparently lost the finals MVP trophy. He said he left it in the equipment manager's room and he doesn't know where it is. (laughs) That is hilarious. He's he look, he's here to win and then go home. And that's what he wants to do. Well, that was fun. We really enjoyed learning more about such a cool, fun player. Hell yeah. Now, why don't you talk to us about Sue Bird? Bird sounds. One, two, three, three, two, one, three on three. Yes, another cool and fun player. So Sue Bird recently had her jersey retired by the Seattle Storm. And I watched the game. The Storm were down by like over 20 points and almost made this incredible comeback. And then they ended up just losing by like five. So it was a really good game to watch. And then after the game, you could watch Sue Bird's jersey retirement. I had to like use the ESPN TV app thing because it Mm -hmm. wasn't on like an actual ESPN channel. And at first I was frustrated as to why they wouldn't just air it. And then I learned because it was really long and it was great to just like have on in the background as I went about my day because they had a bunch of people speak. Um, It was emceed by Macklemore and Megan Rapinoe, which was interesting. You know, Macklemore's a big Seattle rapper. Megan Rapinoe is at least Sue Bird's fiance. I don't know if they've actually been married yet. I just know they proposed, but they did the emceeing duty, which was fun. And then they had a bunch of people speak, such as Sue Bird's previous coaches and some of her former teammates like Swin Cash. And people gave really, really nice speeches. But for what I want to do for this three on three is from Sue's part, which was, of course, the best part when she finally got up and spoke for quite some time, which was awesome. I'm going to do a three on three of the three best things that Sue said or explained or gave insight to about herself. And then the three best things about other people in her speech, because her speech was awesome. And she kind of went through her whole career and talked about lots of things along the way and funny things and sharing funny stories. So I love that. Those are the things that I'm going to discuss. Let's start with the non-Sue things. So the number three thing that I thought was fun that Sue said about someone else is that she was talking about being in Seattle and how she'll get recognized by people. She told this really cool story about how she was, I don't know if it was like at a parking garage or a Jim, something where she had to give someone their name and she explored, you know, she said the last name bird and then they were like, Oh, like Sue bird. And she was like, yeah, thinking that they knew she was Sue bird. <laughs> and then they're like, what's the first name on the account? She was like, Sue. And then the person was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I know that you're a big thing in Seattle and I know everyone loves you, but I don't watch sports. We just know who you are because of Seattle. So I, that was at least nobody asked her about scaffolding like Clay Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just cool. And in that story, what I picked out of as my number three thing is she was just talking about how like she thinks it's cool that she can just walk the streets of Seattle and people usually just say like, hey, Sue, like they know her as a person. Um, but she said that young fans will go up to her and say really cute things. And sometimes they will mess things up. They will say apparently one young fan went up to her and said, hey, I'm your idol instead of you're my idol. That's and very Sue cute. said that she responded, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's very, very cute. Which is adorable. Now, number two thing that I thought was cool that she said about someone else is she was talking about some of the different players and coaches and teammates she had while she was on the storm. And she said she had this Polish teammate once who was talking with Sue about stuff. And Sue's like very 
particular in the way she plays. You know, she's calling out the plays. And then something that came up is she always has this very particular ponytail. You'll see now in her retired days, she's like letting the curls roam free. But in her playing days, she always had like the really tight ponytail with like, I don't know what product it's in, but some WNBA players like do it to make their hair stay like nice and flat to the head. Mm -hmm. And she's always, you know, fixing her ponytail. Apparently a Polish player one time during a practice took suicide and said, Sue, what play call are you doing? What's the play where you do this with your hands? And so it was like, what? And then she mimicked like fixing the ponytail. <laughs> so her teammate thought that it was some sort of like play call because Sue was doing it so much. And Sue was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just very particular about my hair. That's really funny. So the number one thing that I loved Sue saying about someone else at the end, she started thanking her family. She said really sweet things about her mom and her dad, about them like being really supportive, but also like not, you know, coddling her and, you know, giving her honest feedback if she didn't play well and stuff. And that was really sweet. And then she was talking about her nieces. She has two nieces. And she said that she was talking with, I think, the younger of the two nieces about, you know, what should I say during this retirement speech? And apparently, her youngest niece just wanted her to say, you should just say, I'm Aunt Sue and I used to play basketball, but I don't anymore because I wanted to do other things. <laughs> and Sue was like, <laughs> I mean, that is kind of the TLDR of what retiring is, is it not? That really is. Because even I was watching this and Kelly came in at one point and she was like, why did Sue retire? I was like, well, she was 41. And Kelly was asking, like, was she still good in her last years? And I was like, yeah. And Kelly's like, why didn't she keep playing? I was like, she played for 20 years. Like, is she just wanted to do other things, you know, wanted to move on. And I think that her niece giving this adorable yeah. little quote really did sum up the speech really well. Right. Look, you either retire a Sue Bird or play long enough to see yourself become a Shaq on the Celtics. And nobody wants oh, that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Now, let's get into the top three things Sue said about Sue. And she was talking in the family segment about her sister. And she is an older sister. And she said that she did the classic older sister stuff where her older sister would like want Sue to get something for her, but then would turn it into a game for like, oh, can you get, you know, this from downstairs? Yeah. I'll time you. And then Sue picked up on the fact that this was what the intent was because she could tell that her sister wasn't actually like counting, like the times started not making sense. Like she wasn't actually doing a stopwatch. Yeah. This is old enough where we don't have stopwatches on our phones. So Sue picked up on this and then realized her sister was messing with her. The next time her sister said, hey, can you grab me a soda from the fridge? Sue ran, did it, opened the soda, poured in some dish soap <laughs> and then gave it to her to like make it taste bad. And Sue said that was like the first time she did like a crafty counterplay. And Sue, who's known for, you know, getting lots of steals on defense, Sue gave this as an example of her sister was like the first time that she had to, you know, use her knowledge of her opponent to have the upper That's hand. That's really funny. <laughs> so the number two thing that Sue said was she played for a couple of years with a player on the Seattle Storm named Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson was this big player in terms of the position, but also size from Australia. I believe we talked about her in a previous episode as she helped the Australian team, I think, get the bronze medal in the most recent women's FIBA tournament that took place in Australia. And it was, it was the first time they medaled and Lauren Jackson's in her 40s. So it was really cool. And she had her WNBA career end because of knee injury. So for her to come back, it was a super cool story. But yeah. her and Sue were on the storm and they won a championship together, at least one ring together. And they got along as teammates. But Sue was frustrated by one of the coaches because at the time, Lauren was the player like she was the person. And apparently this coach just had this very much like get Lauren the ball. Like that was the whole strategy just get Lauren the ball, get Lauren the ball. And Sue, being a very good player and being a point guard known for handling the ball, was frustrated about this. So apparently there was one year when the storm were doing really, really well. And by the end of the season, the games didn't matter, like the seating was locked, so Lauren would get to sit a bit more. And Sue said that apparently there was a game where Sue was playing, Lauren was sitting, and then the other players were out, and they weren't doing particularly well, like they'd given up a bunch of points, mm -hmm. and then coach called a timeout and asked, you know, what's going on, you know, trying to figure out, get to the root of the issue. And then Sue said, well, the plan is always get Lauren the ball, and Lauren's not playing, we don't know what to do. <laughs> That's just, funny. That's a lot of shade, but I like it. It's, yeah, it's you got to respect the petty. Really, really good stuff. <laughs> now, here's the number one thing, which we alluded to earlier. And this is just, oh, 
Sue was yeah, talking about <laughs> Sue was talking about some of her later teams. And these are the teams that I followed. So she did say that the 2018 title was her favorite title, which is the one that I got to be there for the finals in. So I think it's great that she's picking, you know, me as her favorite fan, basically. But <laughs> she said that 2018 was her favorite title. She did give you a head nod. She did. She did give me a head nod. That's really cool. Didn't make its way into the speech, but you know, you got to cut some things for time. I get it. <laughs> But she said 2018 was her favorite title, but 2020 was also special just because it happened during the bubble and it was just such a weird experience. Now, something that happened during the course of those later era teams is that she used to play the song Trap Queen by Fetty Wap before playing the games. And this is the Fetty Wap song, his first one that famously starts with him, as Adam said, yeah, baby. And then at one point he says 17, he says 1738. A, before getting into, I'm like, hey, what's up? Hello. And Sue did admit that she has no idea what 1738 means. I also have no idea what 1738 means. Isn't it? I think it's a reference to like an alcohol brand. Oh, yeah. Remy Martin, I think. Yeah. And I I don't know if he sponsors or if he's just doing the thing where, you know, rappers like to brag about particular brands. So or, you know, 538 p.m. military time. (laughs) He's just a big fan of 538 p.m. So what Sue did, she really got into that song. She said Jewel Lloyd, one of her teammates, who's now just tearing it up on the storm. She said they really liked the song. So Sue would do this thing where she would, I don't know if this was in her headphones or on the speakers, whatever it was, she would try to perfectly time getting ready and stuff in the locker room and going onto the court for warmups. She would try to time it to where she could get onto the court when the song said 1738 and it was 1738 on the clock. Because usually <laughs> it's like 20 minutes of warm up and then it counts down. And she said that during one particular game, one of the like really impactful playoff games in the 2020 bubble run, she distinctly remembered that that was like a really perfect, like the 1738 happened at the 1738. It's a good and omen. It was this huge game. And she was like hyped about it with Jewel Lloyd. And then like the game was really good. So just that being something that she does I just it makes me it's like the kind of thing that like I would try to do and it's just like you know it's a little like oh it's just like me (laughs) it reminds me of that famous office cold open where they're all just staring at the screensaver that's like going around the square Mm -hmm. and you always anyone under a certain age will be very confused right now Mm -hmm. but we'll I'll share a link to this basically there was this very ubiquitous screensaver on computers and TVs that was just this like square that would bounce around the screen and you always wanted it to hit right in the corner and it would right never seem to get quite there. Um, but that's kind of uh, like that, mm-hmm. but for this. Mm-hmm. So it was a really cool speech. I don't know if there's a place where you can watch it. Maybe it's up on like the WNBA YouTube channel or something, but it was really cool. Everyone's speeches were awesome. I was getting choked up left and right. And there were so many cool things that were left on the table that I will have to say in the five on five. But the final note that I will end on is something that I didn't know until one of our listeners who was at the game messaged us on Instagram, sent us a DM, and I did share it on our story. The halftime act at this game was Red Panda. Naturally. I mean, how could you not? How could you not? Oh, just perfect. And I believe this person messaged and they just said, I'm hype as hell for halftime now. And it was just, (laughs) it said something like, coming up, Red Panda. (laughs) It's just, oh. Hey, two goats in the building. Two goats in the building indeed. So that is my three and three about Sue Bird. Shout out to Sue Bird forever. And I'm so happy that the city of Seattle loves you as much as you love it. And they did such a good job with their retirement. And it was a really cool ceremony. And now her jersey will hang in the rafters forever as it should. Love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horror Sources, hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Kensei Suramaki. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Alison Wickman. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Bird, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, How About Them World Champion Denver Steamed Nuggets, Anna Reed, Steph Curry for the Tray, Bang. Hi Trish, Nicole Arsenault, Stubby Boardman Gets Paid, Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles Plays Ball, Naked Rachel, and Sidney Crosby is a vampire, and honestly, you can't prove that he's not. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops is run by a person who has a horse that's competing against Nikola Jokic's oh. horse in that horse race. It's a fool's um, errand. Yeah, and he's just, you know. Which would actually be a great name for a horse. It's got to have happened at one point. It's got to have <laughs> happened at one point. The best one, though, ever is Hoof Hearted, because uh, then in the thing, it sounds Amazing. like Hoof Hearted, Hoof Hearted, Hoof Hearted. Very, very funny. 
Go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to much of the stuff we talked about today, including some uh, some pretty great articles about Nikola Jokic and uh, and some of Sue Bird's retirement ceremony. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the Horse Boys, you can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops. We have physical rewards, which I will be mailing out again. We have digital rewards, which you can consume by watching or listening or reading. We have all different sorts of things. We have those finals recaps that we did for anyone at any tier at patreon.com slash horsehoops. And if you go to horsehoops.com slash merch, you can get Sup Nerds shirts and other digital goodies as well. We're going to close out this episode by saying something on the count of three, as we always do. I wouldn't mind just saying congrats nuggets on three. They earned it. But if you got anything else, let me know. No, 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 no. I'm, I am good with that. I'm happy for the nuggets. I would have loved to have seen a couple more games. Mm-hmm. I, I wish we were talking about this yep. as we were getting ready for game six tonight. But uh, alas, we must wait until, uh, you know, the summer league starts in a week or whatever. <laughs> we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But hey, WNBA holds us over. That's why I love that it's during the NBA offseason. Perfect schedule. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, it will happen that the Deb Mama Walla gets to yes. a WNBA game this year. It has not been planned yet, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that is going to go down. And uh, I tell you what, that is, it's going to be documented for sure. Good, good. Well, let's say congrats, Nuggets, on three. One, two, three. Congrats, congrats nuggets. nuggets. You did it. They sure mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.